Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match, which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Jealousy can really get the best of some people. On June 29th, 1860, a young boy was taken from his home in the early morning hours and found dead later that same day. 
a boy whose murderer was jealous of the attention his father had bestowed upon him. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On February 6th, 1844, a woman named Constance Emily Kent was born as the ninth child of affluent couple Samuel Seville Kent and Mary Ann Kent, living in a large three-story mansion in the village of Rode in Somerset, England. Though she was the ninth child of ten, only four of the Kent children had survived, and in 1852, Mary Ann herself went to join her children in death. Because she had been sick for quite some time, Marianne was tended to and the children were looked after by her governess named Miss Pratt. And with Mary Ann out of the picture, Samuel made Miss Pratt the new Mrs. Kent. By 1860, the couple had welcomed three more children into their already quite large family, with another one on the way. While Mr. and Mrs. Kent slept on the second floor of their home with a crib for their infant daughter, across the landing was the nursery, which held three-year-old Francis Seville, the well-known favorite of Samuel's children, and another one-year-old Kent child, and Elizabeth Goh, the nurse hired to take care of the youngest members of the family. Down the hall was 16-year-old Constance and 15-year-old William. On June 30th, 1860, at around 5 a.m., Elizabeth Goh woke to check on the baby that she shared a room with. When she saw that everything was perfect and that the little girl was fast asleep, she moved on to the cot where little Francis was supposed to be. The young boy was missing from his bed, but this didn't alarm the nurse as Mrs. Kent was known to collect her son in the middle of the night and take him into her room. So she went back to sleep, expecting to see the little boy when the sun rose a little higher. An hour or so later, she woke again, got dressed, and went to the Kent's room to get Francis up and ready for the rest of his day. But he wasn't there, and Mrs. Kent said she had not gotten him in the middle of the night. All at once, everyone in the home flew into a panic as they all searched for clues to Francis's whereabouts. But the only thing amiss was an open window inside of the drawing room. Samuel, fearing his beloved son had just been kidnapped, hurried off to the police station in Trowbridge, and before long, the whole village knew that three-year-old Francis Seville was missing. Everyone looked for the little boy, and on the same day that he went missing, two villagers found a disused servant's outhouse, where inside lay the child's lifeless body with his throat slashed so severely that it was almost completely severed. By the time Samuel returned with police, the child's body was back at the house to greet him. Of course, everyone wanted to know who would hurt a little boy, and an inquest into his murder began almost immediately. The first to be named a suspect was poor Elizabeth Goh, who was soon released due to complete lack of evidence, and as the case hit a slight stall, Scotland Yard stepped in and sent an inspector Jonathan Witcher to help with the investigation. While carrying out his own line of questioning, he found that there was an unusually large turnover of servants in the Kent home. Thinking maybe Francis was taken by a disgruntled ex-employee, he set out to interview each of the fired workers to ask what they knew about Francis and the entire Kent family. That's when he found out something interesting. According to the men and women he questioned, the older of the Kent children did not get the same treatment and favor from their parents as the younger siblings. In fact, one in particular was so neglected that she harbored a great deal of resentment towards the younger Kents. Constance. 
Inspector Witcher had a strong suspicion that he knew what happened to Francis Kent now, but had a hard time believing that a 16-year-old girl would do something so heinous to her own young brother. Moreover, he knew that if he had any chance of this theory making it to court, he had to find more than enough hard evidence to prove it. So he continued his interviews, and when he did, he found out from one of the maids who still worked in the house that on the Monday following the murder, Constance had asked for her nightgown just before the woman could go to the local washerwoman, claiming that she left her purse in the pocket. Once they rifled through the laundry and confirmed that the dress was in there, Constance asked her if she could go fetch her a glass of water. By the time the maid returned, the nightgown was gone and never seen again. That was enough for Inspector Witcher, and Constance Kent was arrested on July 20th 1860. Constance remained steadfast that she was not responsible for her brother's murder. And when the very little evidence was presented in front of a magistrate on July 27th, the case seemed so flimsy that the audience openly laughed at the idea. Inspector Witcher became a villain in the town after making such accusations about a woman in good social standing, retiring soon thereafter due to, quote, poor health. And Constance was released on bail. Back at square one, Elizabeth Goh was arrested yet again and brought in front of a magistrate. Again, she was released due to lack of evidence. Eventually, the bad press and unwanted attention forced Samuel Kent to move his family to Wales and Constance was sent off to a convent in France in early 1861. Now, this would have been the end of the story if it weren't for a religious retreat and a young girl's growing conscious. Because in August of 1863, Constance returned to England to attend St. Mary's home in Brighton, where she decided she could no longer keep the secret that had been plaguing her, that had been plaguing her for years. On April 25th, 1864, after lengthy conversations with her religious leaders, Constance and a Reverend Wagner walked into the magistrate's office and confessed to the murder of Francis Seville Kent. According to their story, she had confessed first to the Reverend and expressed to him her resolve to bring herself to justice, and that he, in helping her achieve that, listened to her entire confession, collected important verbal evidence, and helped bring Constance to the magistrate. The only catch? He said that while he was there with the woman and told of her guilt, he could not give any more evidence under the seal of sacramental confession. But he did say that, while he could not give more information, the prisoner was not contesting to the charge, so there should be no issue bringing her to trial. Constance claimed that on that day in June of 1860, she waited for all of the Kents and those working in their home to fall asleep. And when they did, she walked over to Francis's room, carefully wrapped him up in a blanket, left the house, and killed him in the outhouse with a razor blade that she stole from her father. And to prove that the act was completely premeditated, she said that she had hidden a box of matches in the outhouse before the murder, knowing she would need light to see what she was doing. This was a blatant act of pure revenge against, according to Constance, her stepmother. But people still had a hard time believing that a teenage girl who was raised by such a prestigious family could possibly be responsible for such a hideous crime especially since the experts who performed Francis's autopsy said that his wounds could not have been sustained from a razor blade. Many, including famed novelist Charles Dickens, thought that maybe Samuel, a known adulterer, and Elizabeth Goh were having an affair and that Francis was killed in a fit of rage after walking in on their little indiscretion. 
that Constance, ever the dutiful daughter, was covering for her father. Others agreed that she was covering for someone, but that it wasn't her father, but her brother William, who harbored those same neglected feelings that she did. Maybe they even acted together. Regardless, Constance remained steadfast that she acted alone, but insisted that she bore no hatred or jealousy for her half-brother. Constance Kent pled guilty to the murder of Francis Kent, and the plea was accepted so that Reverend Wagner did not have to be called for testimony, which, of course, caused much public debate and discussion over his rights to withhold evidence. To most, it meant the ancient bond between priest and parishioner and the privilege that went with it was gone. To others, it meant priests could withhold valuable information in the most intense investigations. As a result of her plea, which upset the many who gathered there to listen to the lurid details of her crime, Constance was sentenced to death, but this was later commuted to life imprisonment due in large part to her youth and sex. She served 20 years behind bars and was released in 1885 when she was 41 years old. She changed her name to Ruth Emily Kay, immigrated to Australia and joined her brother in Tasmania, worked as a nurse and matron at a nursing home, and lived out the rest of her life dying on April 10th, 1944, when she was 100 years old. Though some believe she actually made her way to Whitechapel instead, where she continued her acts of revenge on sex workers who wandered the streets. Meaning, experts were wrong in their assumption that the crazed Jack the Ripper was a male. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on June 30th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.